Welcome to Addressing Alaskans, where we feature community conversations around South Central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel throughout our community and listen to local groups discuss what matters to them. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. I'm Ammon Swenson. Today's episode features a panel discussion celebrating Elizabeth Paratrovich Day. GBH Kids, producer of Molly of Denali, the Rasmussen Foundation, and Alaska Public Media partnered together to host an event to honor the important figure in Alaska's history and to view a special Elizabeth Paratrovich episode of Molly of Denali. You can find the full video of the event on alaskapublic.org. We pick up with the program after the Molly of Denali episode concludes. That was so incredible to watch on the big screen with you all and very emotional. I just love hearing the languages. Um, I also just wanted to point out, I think that one of the kids from our interstitial might be in the audience. Ida, if you're out there, can you just wave to us? (gasps) Yay! You did such a good job. Oh my goodness. Those reflections were so beautiful by the kids, so I just wanted to thank you and your family for being here with us. Um, And also, uh, we're gonna be moving into the panel discussion, um, but if the kids would like to meet Molly and do some fun activities um, with Stephanie, that there's gonna be um, the Education Alaska Public Media. There's Stephanie, she's waving to everybody. (laughs) You can just follow her if you wanna um, head into the theater. Um, But definitely thank you, uh, Mussy, to all the parents who want to stick around for our panel discussion that we're going to get into next. And yeah. Um, So before I, um, I'll let people gravitate, but before I welcome all our panelists, um, I really want to uplift um, the incredible amount of work that goes into an animated series like this. Um, We literally have had hundreds of animators that work on this show. Um, And we also have a number of Alaska Native advisors and language advisors. So our original Alaska Native advisory group is made up of our elders, Luke Titus, and Adeline Raboff, and then Dewey um, Hoffman and Rochelle Adams. And and now I'm a part of that group. And we also have the addition of Wilson Justin and Lorraine David. Um, So I just did, I I wanna um, just underscore that it's truly an incredibly collaborative process. And when we all work really hard to come together Um, and work on something creative like this, it really shows up in that authenticity that we see on the screen and that reflection of our beautiful Alaska Native values. So I'm gonna um, migrate over here. (laughs) And I think my mic is on, and we'll just go from from left to right. Hey, Mira! Hey! (laughs) You join us, that's so awesome. So, um, Laverne, if you want to go ahead and start and introduce yourself and talk about your role on the show. That means hello, everyone. Haleg Se'ezret. My name is uh, Haleg or Laverne Dementi. Uh, Haleg means spring, and it was given to me by the late Jim Dementi. Degetanitlan. Uh, I am Degetanathabaskin. Um, my family, uh, my parents are the late Rudy and Alice Dementev, and um, I'm from Holy Cross in Anvik, Alaska. I'm super excited 
and grateful to be here. This was such a joy to participate in already and just watch and the kids um, just, just to see their joy is so amazing. Um, I'm, I guess I'm the wellness coordinator for this particular episode uh, and just supported um, or helped um, into thinking about how um, some of the some of the impacts of, of uh, what Molly and Chewie were experiencing on the show and uh, sharing some of my, my um, knowledge. Uh, a lot of the research and, and work that I do is around wellness, uh, historical trauma, trauma, resilience, and healing. So, get then. Thank you, Masi. Um, I can't wait to get more into the conversation about healing because I think that's a huge part of this series. Is there something I can do for that feedback? Um, so we're gonna go down. Um, Vera, you're next in line. I don't know if you know you're next in line, but you are next in line. <laughs> I can actually, on my screen, see all of you, and it's, it's a little disorienting watching myself. But uh, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm Vera Starbird, I'm Clinket and Denina, and I'm coming from you to you from the distant land of South Anchorage. <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be leaving a little bit early to do another Elizabeth Pratifitch event, so I'll be hopping from one screen to another. Um, but yeah, I am, uh, was born in Craig, but grew up all over Alaska, and I was the writer for this episode. Yeti Bay. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, my name is Yeti Bay Evans, and I'm the creative producer right now for Molly of Denali. And um, Princess has set up the show incredibly strong and full of such good energy. And it's such a wonderful um, joy to be a part of the series and work with so many people. I'm Atna Athabaskan from the village of Mintasta. My mom is Donna Galbraith from Mintasta. My dad is Jeffrey Mann from Massachusetts right where GBH is. And my grandmother is Molly Galbraith from Bansonidi, Suslodi, and Mintasta. And my grandfather is the late Don Galbraith from Michigan. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, it's great to see everybody. Uh, my name is Khone. Happy Elizabeth Karachevich Day. Oops, I guess I shouldn't move. Um, my, uh, I teach the Tlingit language at the University of Alaska Southeast and advocate for indigenous languages statewide on the Alaska Native Language Preservation and Advisory Council and am a cultural advisor and a writer on Molly of Denali. My mother's people are Kegani Haida and Shukach Adi Tlingit. My father's side, we are Yupik, uh, Sami, and English. And it's a real honor to be up here on the stage with these wonderful people. Awesome. Let's see. So I was, I was noticing as we were watching the stories that some kids in the audience were recognizing some of the Yupik or they would get really excited, you know, when they would hear our native language words. And so I just thought we'd start the conversation about the power and the importance of representation in media and we'll just go down the line. So feel free to share any anecdotes or whatever you want to share. 
All right. Well, you know, I was thinking um, that uh, just feeling really grateful for uh, the elders uh, and the ancestors who, you know, carried um, culture and language through really hard and difficult times um, and kept that safe and protected so that I can use that for my sense of connection and belonging and identity today. And I just feel so grateful to them for all of the work that they put into um, keeping that for the next generation. And so really, I think, um, you know, just reflecting on how much, you know, can I do then so that 100 years from now, people can still utilize that for their wellness and sense of identity and belonging and connection and healing and, and, and all of that. So I, I'm just kind of reflecting on that right now, just feeling really grateful. Beautiful. Let's see. Vera? Yeah, I think um, even just my experience today of um, this is actually, uh, there's four events I'm doing today for Elizabeth Kradovich. And all day long, I've been talking about a woman who wasn't allowed into places because of who she was. And now we're, you know, like competing events everywhere just to, you know, celebrate her and celebrate Native achievement, celebrate Native excellence in a single lifetime, <laughs> you know, certainly within my grandmother's lifetime. Um, so are we having trouble hearing me? We can hear you good. Okay. We're just giving me more of a tan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, I think the power of this, of normalizing, even if this wasn't a powerful episode, which I do believe it is, if that doesn't sound super um, self-indulgent, but um, just our sort of quote-unquote normal episodes that just celebrate Native children, um, seeing them on TV, doing awesome things, doing regular things, making mistakes, uh, making, you know, great decisions, uh, that power makes it more and more unlikely we'll ever go back to a time where we weren't allowed in grocery stores. Beautiful, thank you. Yeti Bay? Yeah, I think it's um, especially important that we have accurate representation and authenticity uh, within media, and I'm so grateful that Molly Denali is able to share our stories, our history, our ways of life, and give a sense of pride and identity and recognition to our young people and even to our generation. It is amazing to be able to see people that reflect who we are and who we really are on screen and practicing our ways of life in a positive and healthy way and to provide that role model, that example for youth to come, to be able to share a story from our own voices, from our own collaboration, and is incredible because growing up, we didn't see ourselves represented, represented in media the way we are now. To hear our languages spoken and the learning of our languages is celebrated and appreciated rather than you know dismissed or punished it is 
so amazing to see the revitalization of who we are as indigenous people on screen. Thank you. Uh, wonderful. I guess, okay. <laughs> Just extra emphasis, the sound effects. Well, I was in Sitka, Alaska when, when Molly came out, and kind of, a, I guess, an insider scoop is we get to see some of the episodes as they're in development. And even as they were developing, I thought, this might just change everything. Uh, and when, when, I, when it debuted as in, as in Sitka, I was watching it with my children, and when I talked about it, I was getting very emotional because I was saying, I never had this when I was growing up. I couldn't see anything in media when I was a child consuming stuff that was made for children that would make me feel okay even about who I am. It was always cartoonish, buffoonery, getting murdered by Bugs Bunny. And, and now we have something where we have authenticity and it takes a whole group of people to continue, continue to think about things, talk about things, and make sure that it, it can go through a PBS lens and it can be relevant to everybody, but still be authentic to who we are as indigenous peoples. And to hear languages that maybe there's only 10 speakers left of that language, but we're gonna bring attention to that. And we're gonna start to shift that as children see this. They see themselves on the television screen, on PBS, and th that was just huge. I couldn't even imagine seeing that when I was growing up. And so I was so happy that it was happening. Merci. Um, did you mention that you also write on the show? So Khuni also is a writer on, this, on the show. Um, I wanted to, um, Vera, I wanted to ask you this next question, which is, um, we'd been talking since season one about doing this story, a story about Elizabeth Prachevich. And I just wanted you to just speak a little bit of to how you approached the scripting of the story and share a little bit about that experience of writing this particular story. And I'm just thinking of all of our um, intergenerational Alaska Native audience out there that might be interested in writing. And I think Vera has a, a lot to share about this, so. <laughs> oh gosh, so. Two hours, I think that's what you said I have for this question. Let's go. Uh, yeah, we, we've been wanting to do this since the beginning, the beginning. And I think um, I'm glad actually we did it in season two. So everyone kind of had their, had their feet firmly planted so we could sort of tackle it. Um, Kune and I did battle to be able to write it. And um, he couldn't compete against the Klinkot woman. I mean, come on, like. <laughs> I do want to mention, though, that Hune assisted in the design for the coin. Um, that is a real coin that uh, uh, comes from the U.S. Mint, and they they got involved in the episode, too. And it started in the writer's room with, yes, we'd like to do this episode. There was an awful lot of talk about what exactly the sort of plot or topic. There's so many different kind of racist incidents from our own experiences that we could have talked about or issues to tackle. And really it came down to what is in the spirit of uh, Elizabeth Pradovich. And she was literally fighting her and her husband and a whole community were fighting about literally just the identity of native people and having the right to exist equally as ourselves. And that's still getting questioned. Um, maybe not legally, but certainly morally, ethically, it, it still gets questioned all the time. So 
how to finagle that into um, an 11 minute, 12 minute long story um, was so much work. It took about four months to write between, I can't even tell how many people um, that was uh, in the very short version of sort of what happens with uh, writing a children's animation is I will write it, but at every point it goes to the director, it goes to the animators, it goes to producers, it goes to PBS, it goes to educators, um, all to get input <laughs> and, you know, get sort of guidance on, is this, is this going okay? Are we doing all right? And that process took about four months before it ever gets acted or animated. Um, and there were some real big issues we were talking about as far as Molly's a young kid, but she's going to experience racism, just like pretty much any uh, children of color do. Uh, what would she experience? How would she tackle it? Um, an important thing for all of us was that her community support her, that she was never going to be alone when she tackled this topic or this issue. We wanted her to be able to stand up, but we wanted to make the point that she's she doesn't have to. She's not, uh, it's not her responsibility to teach someone <laughs> what they can learn themselves, but she wants to. She wants to be that person to help stop someone else getting hurt as she did. Um, we also, to me, it's a small moment in the episode, but we, I really wanted her to have this moment where she actually says, I've never questioned my identity before. <laughs> I've never questioned being native enough before until it was introduced to me um, in this pretty harsh way. And so that's something she grappled with in the episode. And there's oh, so much that didn't make it. Um, we kind of had to battle for every, literally word by word uh, to get it in that little short amount of time, make sure it was appropriate for five-year-olds. Um, I will say the absolute worst thing I had to do was to rewrite Elizabeth Kratovich's speech for five-year-olds. <laughs> um, very nervous, very, very nervous about that one. Um, it's like this most epic, wonderful, you know, original clapback kind of speech. And when you actually look at it, it's a compliment to uh, Elizabeth Kratovich that uh, the words were just too sophisticated for you know, um, young children to, without some other words to assist that. And then you have to sort of explain the speech. So um, that was honestly probably the toughest part, the part I was most worried about. Um, and then from there, it goes to uh, Liz Medicine Crow voiced Elizabeth Pradovich. That was such a win <laughs> that um, this, Plinkett woman who is also involved in anti-racism work in the state, uh, be the one to voice uh, someone whose shoulders we all stand on. Um, and of course, all of the other wonderful actors and directors and animators and everything. So that was about as short as I can get that process. <laughs> and I'm sure Princess, you know, Princess was, you know, was, was in there meeting one too. And I'm sure she's like, oh gosh, you missed 47 steps, but that's as succinct as a clinket to make it. Vera, you did such a good job with the speech. And one of the things we, the term we use a lot is kid relatable. And I just think that little snippet was just so, it really was. And to have 
the young Myrna in the audience looking up with a, a mouth agape like, wow, here's this Alaska Native woman speaking up for us, just modeling that. It's just so beautiful. And I think there is, um, you know, kind of segueing into this healing component. It is so incredibly healing when we tell history from our eyes, from our perspective, um, and so validating. And Laverne, you know, we really, you know, pulled you in because of your extensive, you know, research and kind of just um, approach and philosophy, your framework um, that really brings in the insights of our elders and our ancestors. And I'd love for you to speak a little bit to that framework. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, I hear a lot of, um, one of the things that has always inspired me um, is when people say, you know, when we can be who we are, that's when we are in our power, uh, when we are who we are in the world. And that's been a journey for me. And, um, and again, I, I look back to a lot of the, the, my own experiences and the research that I've done um, has been with elders um, in my region and, and also just around the state. I co-teach uh, with an elder in, in, um, at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And um, so one of the things I, I, I started um, pulling together was a framework of um, teaching. And I call it the five C's for healing-centered engagement. And I, when I watched this episode of uh, Molly and Elizabeth, I felt like there was so much depicted in there uh, around these five C's, which focus around compassion, connection, community, curiosity, and ceremony. And I utilize this framework in a lot of areas, and I share this framework because I really believe that as we do the work that we're doing, as we live in our lives, these are things we can reflect on. So each of those has, um, elders have shared really important lessons with me in those, in those realms. And um, I think about, you know, the episode, and I just, I was, you know, um, really, really touched uh, when I first watched it, when I first listened to it, and um, just saw Molly and Tui stand in their power and be who they were in the world and how much um, that is going to shape them. And, but what I think Viria did so beautifully was create the, the support, like she said, in the community around them. And elders, you know, they, when they talk about wellness and healing, it's all about connection and community and compassion for self and others and how we can be curious and learn about each other and, um, and also, you know, um, that ceremony is, has to be in there. And so I, I, I just think it's, um, it was just a really beautiful episode for me to, to see. I think, you know, we think about connection and, and in our, the times that we're living in, you know, we um, often get disconnected um, when we, and if we experience, um, you know, just challenges in our life with COVID and other things, could be depression and anxiety, it creates a lot of disconnection in our lives, could be disconnection from ourselves, spirit, nature, the earth, and, and, um, and, you know, 
one of the things that we can really do as a community is try to connect back up in multiple ways and and that's really supportive and that's healing and I think you know when I saw Molly and Tui um, come together and I could just see the internalized racism right you can see it happening when the kids were sitting at the picnic table it was beginning to seep in um, and there and they were surrounded by people that cared about them and were able to process that and move forward but um, you know, that's, those are the kinds of, you know, bringing the community together and, and creating connection is, is super healing, so. Get in. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, just seeing that modeled, I have to say, even as an adult, sometimes we need that, you know, reminder, we need that time to kind of like process through what our feelings are to, you know, figure out where we're coming from. And I love this sense of like keeping a sense of curiosity because I think that's something that ties into being a child. You know, we're so naturally curious. And sometimes as we get to be curmudgeon old adults, <laughs> that curiosity kind of goes away. But we need to stay curious about one another if we're going to be really open to, to learning and to understanding people, even those people that we don't necessarily agree with, right? So. Renee, your daughters appear <laughs> in the interstitial, and you know, just as a, as an educator and language, you know, warrior, and then having your daughters, I, I know they they shared a little bit about the story, but I'd love to hear from you, like as a parent, but also like as an educator, the impact of this story about Elizabeth Parachovich. Yeah, when when I think of the work of Elizabeth Parachovich and William Paul and others. I'm not gonna move, okay? Uh, when I think about their work, I think a lot of what must drive them would be to say the next generation will not experience as much discrimination as I will. And, and I feel really, in a strange way, blessed that I know my children won't experience the same levels of racism that I did in education. But I still know that they face an absence, and so they'll reach a point where they age out of certain programs that are really designed for indigenous peoples. And then I feel like, well, will they still see themselves in education? Will they, will they, at what point will they stop hearing our languages and will it switch over to English? Because if Alaska continues the sort of trend it's on, one out of every four Alaskans will be Alaska Native. But does that mean one out of every four teachers are Alaska Native? And one out of every four professors are Alaska Native? So a term like equity brings, brings me back to equity. And I think that's a term that you could spend a lot of time defining and talking about. But my favorite definition of equity right now is the absence of disparity. So if you look around, and does it look like about the same? Is everybody doing about the same? And when you start to see disparity, then you start to work on those areas. So for me, like at the University of Alaska, we say, well, 22% of our student body is Alaska Native, and 3 or 4% of our faculty is Alaska Native. So we got to add 19 more. You know, and so as, as we sort of look at those things, and then I think about these children who, who get a chance to grow up. We went 60 years without raising children in our language. And it's a complicated situation with lots of oppression, lots of shame, lots of damage done by teachers and churches in particular who tortured children for speaking their languages. 
and now my children get to speak the language and they get to sometimes correct their teachers because they know the language and it's a it's a wonderful thing to think about what they're going to do and I guess I would kind of bring it back to unfortunately it's never enough because there's got to be some generation that says let's actually get rid of as much of this discrimination as we can whether we're talking about racism or we're talking about gender discrimination or we're talking about homophobia transphobia all, all these different things that that we typically see and that if you're a person of color they usually they don't surprise you and I, I want us to get to a point where we feel like oh that old thing is trying to come back up that that's such an old thing but I argued with a politician one time so Elizabeth Prachevich I also want to point out a 90 year old wonderful brilliant elder joined our language class last night she said I got to meet her and she said what that what sometimes people don't realize is she was so kind Elizabeth Prachevich and she loved to laugh and her and Roy loved to laugh they're always laughing and just loving being around their own people but sometimes we see them in that act of battle when they're trying to push back against something and when she what she was pushing back against was this idea that if we allow native people in the same space you're going to have uh, racial tension that's what they said there'll be racial tension it's in 1940s so when we're trying to make Alaska native languages the co-official languages of Alaska there was this one senator who said a lot of foolish things and one of the things that he said was if we try to make the languages equal we're just going to have more racial tension <laughs> and I thought it's 80 years and you don't got a new thing to say <laughs> and so uh, sometimes we're pushing back against the same thing and sometimes we're pushing back against a different thing that's kind of the same thing but I think every generation continues to get this inspiration continues to not rest and continues to push for the things that they can change so it's easier for the future generations yes It pairs so nicely with what Laverne was saying about getting to that point of being our full selves, bringing our full selves into any space, or even being our full selves for our, you know, selves. This sense of true liberation and how do we, and you know, recognizing, right? Elizabeth Prachevich is one person who we are, we're celebrating, we're uplifting her. She had many other people in the community that worked with her. We have so many people in our communities that are working so hard to make Alaska a better place right now. How do we continue to um, continue her work, her legacy? Well, I would definitely say, um, you know, uh, action. I think that when we're feeling anxiety, when we're feeling fear, when we're feeling um, these intense emotions, a lot of times our elders will say, do something with your hands, bead or um, work, go outside, take a walk. But action um, can help alleviate some of those, that intensity. And I think that, you know, action can look a, a lot of different ways and how we, you know, um, making that making that determination making a choice to do something to whether it's just bringing awareness learning more talking about it processing um, and doing something um, can help and i just you know one of the things that that has been helpful for me um, 
is talking with my elders um, and also um, learning my language. And I think that has allowed me to be who I am in the world. And so, um, you know, our cultural traditions and practices uh, have amazing, beautiful um, pieces built in around connection and wellness. And they're really intricate and, and we have a lot to learn from them. And uh, they have a lot to offer us today in, in re this regard. Awesome. Anyone else want to? I think um, in showing up uh, for our children and being mm -hmm. the best uh, that we can be as adults and guiding them for a long time, um, you know, we were silenced. Our languages were taken away from us and our parents, our grandparents and aunts and uncles weren't all um, speaking to us in our native ways, in our native languages. And there was a lot of silence uh, for many years. And I feel like as we as parents now have the opportunity to regain our voices, reclaim our voices, and share with our children who their ancestors are and the practices that they have carried through thousands of years to become the resilient people that we are together and continue on in this legacy. And as parents, as aunties, as uncles, as grandparents, if we stand up and, and just speak out as Molly has done in the episode and educate and share about who we are and the richness of our culture. And we have an opportunity not only to pass on our traditions and way of life to our own children, but really to better our whole society as a human race. I, w I would agree and I I'm gonna just add to, to what's been said here uh, Elizabeth Prachevich was Tukach Adi. It's the same clan that I am. And so it's wonderful to see so many people see her legacy, what she did. I've seen letters she's written to her children, and, and the amount of kindness she showed to her children is just incredible. Just incredible, and, and showing courage as she also knew that her time was going to be shortened. The Alaska Native Brotherhood and the Alaska Native Sisterhood and a lot of other organizations and individuals across Alaska, and not everywhere in Alaska, but in many places, they end up setting down the language and the culture to focus on civil rights, which I, they had to do. I, I think it had to happen, it had to be done. So a lot of our work now is to be thankful for what they did for us, to acknowledge that courage and that difficult decision but to go back and to pick that up now and say, okay, the, the path has been cleared for these areas. We have to actually forge forward and, and make a clearer path for our languages. So there's been schools in Alaska for hundreds of years, and there is no clear pathway to become a certified licensed teacher of an Alaska native language. That tells you something. There are However many schools in Alaska and however many teachers, I don't know what the ratio is of teachers to language teachers. But these are things that I think can be fixed, but it's going to take a bold move and a bold decision. And part of that decision, I think every student who graduates high school in Alaska should take one semester of an Alaska native language. 
Like every school in Alaska should have an Alaska Native language teacher in it if they're receiving public funding. And I think every language should be pushed to be taught through the University of Alaska structure without charging Alaska Natives any tuition. I, I think those things start to get us towards a goal of a, of a potential reality. Because of the 23 Alaska Native languages, none of them are safe. You, you could say St. Lawrence Island, Yupik, and Yupik, and Chupik might have very high percentages of speakers, but they're not safe. And, and if you get out of those languages, you start getting into 1% to 2% of the total population can speak right now. And this is, and this is not the result of something other than an attempt to annihilate our culture. Because at the same time folks had to set it down to fight for civil rights, children were being beaten and humiliated and tortured for speaking their language. And so as we come forward and want to come out of that, we have to have a dedicated, unified effort and say, these things, they need to be treated with the equal amount of respect. We respect English by giving it almost the entirety of a curriculum. You could give us half. You can give us half for a couple hundred years. We'll check in and see where we're at, and then we'll analyze it. <laughs> so I'm glad that we got that recorded, because Hune is modeling the work that Elizabeth Parachovich did in her lifetime. And this is a part of our continuing making this place, Alaska, where we live, where our ancestors come from, a place where we feel really good about the spaces that we enter as we should, right? Yeah. <laughs> Vera, did you have anything that you wanted to add on to that or? Oh, just as far as continuing to work, I think something absolutely everybody can do uh, and I know this is like from a writer, this is gonna be like, of course, that's your answer. The importance of storytelling, the importance of telling your story. Um, I, <laughs> I don't, I can't emphasize so much how great an impact that can have, whether it's one person you're talking to, whether it's um, an entire children's television show, millions of people, um, the impact that you as a native person can have uh, is huge, and that's children, that's adults. Um, when I went, I, I, when I really understood what I was getting into was when we were just beginning to write the show, and it hadn't, it was still a year and a half away from airing or something, and I visited the, um, at the time, WGBH Studios in Boston, it's now GBH, and I walked in, and you, <laughs> you just get, uh, they're like, oh yeah, and Yo-Yo Ma was doing a concert in this studio last month and Julia Childs was doing this over here and you go in and it's Arthur and Clifford the Big Red Dog and I mean just these huge figures that made a whole childhood of difference for me and I, I really got struck with uh, my nephew Emmett had just been born oh gosh this is going to be a world in which an Alaska Native role model is real it's never going to be true again that there's not something in the public sphere of Alaska Native uh, examples and uh, this stories <laughs> just sort of are important stories and I wish every time that anyone watches this show that they get that your stories are important and valued and loved by people. These are your stories that we're trying to tell and 
you should tell them too. <laughs> you know, whether you write them, whether you draw them, whether you just talk one on one with someone, whether you work on becoming an animation writer, which I hope you will do. Um, it's so important. And I, I just, I know it's so like writer of me to say, but keep telling the stories, keep growing the stories, keep creating stories. Thank you. <clears throat> Um, I'll just um, add on to that because I also, this is the thing, right, is that we have to gain more narrative sovereignty. For so long, other people have been coming in and telling our stories, and when we're the ones that are writing it, we're acting, we're directing, we're like crewing up and doing all the camera work, it makes a huge difference, and these are actually viable um, professional careers that we're making here and so I hope that people you know really see that with the series but also with all of our other you know artists and in, in media it's important to you know uplift that we can do this um, and so again I just wanted to thank everybody for coming out we have I have a list of people hold on let me put my readers on <laughs> to thank here um, I just wanted to say um, Musi Cho of course to our panelists who traveled here to be with us today and join us in this conversation. Um, Stephanie McFadden, who's back there somewhere, <laughs> and everyone at Alaska Public Media, um, who've put so much um, heart and work into the engagement on Molly of Denali. Thank you to Jensen Hall Creative for the excellent production and technical support. Um, to all the food vendors, the yummy food back there from um, Anchorage Community Land Trust set up, and of course, the Alaska Native Heritage Center for hosting us. And lots of love back to the Rasmussen Foundation for their generous support in making this event possible. And really, all they do to support the arts. Thank you so much. And thank you all again for sharing this time with us. It's really special um, to be in person and to feel the energy of a live audience and not be on Zoom. So, must <laughs> 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 Joe for coming out. <laughs>